We'll be turning over to uh, Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be doing a study through the book of Philippians. And uh, it's a, a book that uh, we actually we started like the foundation of that book uh, last week in Acts 16. That's when Paul and Silas uh, preached in uh, the first, uh, uh, the opening of uh, a church in uh, Europe. Uh, actually, it was the first time that the church uh, had a foothold. And, uh, and that was at Philippi. And so uh, we're going to be looking at Philippians because it's such a key book, I believe, right now, especially as we, uh, we're in, a, uh, we're in a, a difficult time. But I believe that Philippians has one of the keys, I believe, for uh, our Christian life and for Christian living that's really, really important. And the theme, which, um, Greg, you picked up on this morning, is the theme is joy, the joy of the Lord. And how do we, uh, how, how do, what does that, what does that uh, look like? And, and how do we as a, Christ, how, as a Christian community and as individuals, um, how do we grow in understanding what it means to have the joy of the Lord? And, um, and so we're going to be looking at uh, the first eight verses of Philippians. Um, I wanted to t- take these verses in some kind of a, a, kind of a more of a, a, a whole to try to pick up on Paul's uh, Main theme of joy. How does, what is joy, what place does joy have in your Christian life right now? Because it's really, really important because how you th- respond to that will often, will be um, uh, a lot, well, large part on how it affects the world out there and how they see uh, uh, Christianity. And, and so Paul is writing to a church that brought him uh, the most pain, but also the one that brought him the most joy. That's kind of a, now that I know that's a contradiction, but as we study through Philippians, we're going to see that, and I, I trust more and more. So um, let us uh, just uh, uh, focus our this morning on chapter one, and we're going to be reading the first eight verses, and uh, hear these words from God's uh, holy and errant, infallible Word. And this is God's word for us this morning. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And may the Lord uh, add his blessings on his word. We're not going to get right into Paul's specific prayer, but we're going to stop there because we want to focus on Paul's joy. And what was it that brought uh, uh, Paul so much joy? Because, you know, if, if you're going to tell people to rejoice in the Lord always, and for 14 different times in this, path, this book, at least 14, if not more, Paul's going to say rejoice, have joy, give thanks. And so if he's going to be telling them to do something, he needs to model what he, I mean, he needs to actually live what he preaches, right? You know, if he says, well, you know, you need to be joyful, but all he does is criticize and jumps on people and, and, and everything, then certainly he's not, he's not 
Um, he's not really, uh, he's kind of, uh, he's got the doctrine right, but the practice is lacking, right? And so uh, Paul is, is going to practice what he's preaching here. And, and so in uh, this section, we want to look at that this morning. And so uh, let's pray just as we come and ask God, the Holy Spirit, to give us uh, that intense joy that Paul's talking about. Fathers, we come to you this morning, and, and there's so much, uh, Lord, we uh, need to be thankful for. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for the country that we live in. We thank you for the freedoms that you give us. Lord, we thank you for the comforts that we have that uh, a lot of the world doesn't have. We thank you, Lord, for our families, for, uh, Father, our health. We thank you, Lord, for uh, just your goodness and your grace to us. But most of all, we thank you for Jesus, uh, that he is that Lamb of God, not only who was given for the sins uh, of the world, but was given for uh, my sins and given for the sins of your people. And that through his death and his resurrection... And through his victory, Father, we find victory in a world that uh, is lost, a, a world that's dark, a world that's confused. And Lord, I pray that you administer to each heart, each of us bring our own sorrows and sadness. And, and joy doesn't necessarily mean that we have to smile about everything. Uh, but Father, it does. Uh, but there is a sense in which we can have your joy. Uh, it's a deep, resonating joy within us. It comes from knowing that, uh, Lord, uh, what God says uh, will be accomplished and nothing can change that. Uh, we have uh, a God who is unchangeable and a promises that are unchangeable. And, uh, Father, we come to you this morning praying that you would meet each need here to, today. And, Lord, there's many needs in this congregation, sickness, um, struggles with uh, not only just health issues, but, uh, Father, even uh, all the things that come from social distancing, uh, Lord, the, the uh, loneliness and, and uh, just the difficulties of, of working through that. And we pray that you minister to each need here this morning. And Father, we know that you are able because you are our high priest and you sit at the right hand of God the Father and you hear our prayers, not because of anything we do, but because of Christ. And we give you the glory in his name. Amen. So as we come uh, to this text this morning, there's, there's so much in it. And I was, I was thinking of, well, how do I start this text uh, this morning? Because Paul's uh, interested in uh, this whole theme. He's going to tell them in several places to rejoice in the Lord. And again, I'll say rejoice. In other words, he's going to repeat something. And just because uh, someone like Paul repeats something doesn't mean it's not that, that he's being redundant for just, just to be redundant, but he's actually saying it's really important in our lives, that this is something that we need so much of. And so Paul is, uh, he's going to practice, kind of practice what he preaches here because as he introduces himself in his letters, he had always introduced himself, and he introduces Timothy here, but notice how he introduces himself. It shows how he uh, how he's dealing with some of the things, but but really that kind of the overriding theme of this book, and I think you have to, we'll keep saying it over and over as we go through this book, is that sooner or later in your life we're going to find ourselves confronted by some kind of prison. Paul is in prison. He's in Roman prison. It's probably 62 A.D. Now you remember, how did he start out with the Philippians? He started out in prison, right? He got thrown in prison because he preached. Um, he uh, he was able to uh, cast out a demon out of a, a slave girl, and he got thrown in prison for that. So now, so think about it. So in 50, 52 A.D., Paul 
God uses Paul and Silas to establish the Philippian church. Now, we're going to move 10 years, and, 10 years ahead, 62 A.D., and Paul finds himself in a Roman prison. So, you know, when Paul went to a city, the first thing he checked out was not the hotels. He's checked out the prisons to see what kind of accommodations were there because he figured he's going to end up in prison. And so here's Paul. He's, he's in prison. He's writing. And, and in, his, uh, in this prison, he wants to share with them the deep joy that he has in Jesus. And you go, uh, Paul, Paul, there has to be, you, 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 have to, you have to be, you have to come, you know, you have to let us know what you need. But Paul's saying, look, I, I've learned something even in prison. I've learned contentment. You know, we'll, we'll look at that in chapter 4 later. But, but, so, so, but you and I, we often face our own kinds of prison. And our own kinds of prison are our circumstances, right? Things change. Your circumstances, my circumstances. Some of our prisons are, 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 are things like this, a sickbed, a hospital, an accident, a pandemic, those are prisons. A, a death of a loved one. I, I just uh, had uh, conducted a funeral of a, a lady that was a good friend of mine. This is past week, and uh, 91 years old, she loved the Lord, but the person I'd always go to to pray for me because <laughs> I needed a lot of prayer. Uh, but, but chronic pain, all of those things can be prisons. They're circumstances that you have no control over. And Paul's saying that God in, those, in your life is going to use those circumstances as a way of getting his work of grace deeper into your heart and into your life. And so, he does, so he do, he's doing that in Paul, and Paul wants to share that experience with you and me. Uh, he, wants, he wants you to understand, me to understand what it is that, that brought him so much joy. One of the things that Greg pointed out, I thought, was in, our, in, the mess, in his Sunday school lesson this morning, was that, you know, Jesus said, my joy will be in you. He wasn't saying, your joy will be in you. He's saying, my joy. What joy is that? Well, the Father rejoices in heaven, it says, over every sinner, what? That, gets, that comes to him and, and saved, right? So there's this joy that God has and Paul says, I want, and, and so John is writing to his, he's saying, my Jesus said to his disciples, my joy I want you to have. But I don't want you to just have my joy. He says, I want you to have my joy in fullness. So Paul is talking about how do we as Christians live within the circumstances, our prisons sometimes that are things that we can't change. And how, do, how does God use that joy in our lives to reach a world that says, you know, yeah, I'm happy as long as I have comfort, I have success, I have lots of money in the bank, I have, uh, I, I'm, you know, I have the things that I think I need in order to be happy. Well, Paul's in prison, and he's, he's going to tell us how that happens. And so all through the book, you could almost outline the book as this. So for Paul, his, he, he has this one thing that he says... For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, the ultimate thing about the Christian life is this. You have the one thing that you need, not only for this life, but for eternity. So that's one thing he's going to say in chapter 1. And then chapter 2, he's going to say, well, if you want a pattern of what it looks like, what, what this joy looks like, look at Jesus. 
So he says, okay, Jesus is the pattern of the Christian life. And what's that? He lays aside his rights to do what? To serve other people. Joy, Jesus just said it's more blessed to give than what? To receive. So there's joy in that. So there's the pattern that we have. See, God doesn't sit up there and say, you know, boy, you people just all, you know, people down here, down on the earth, I mean, they just don't know what's going on. What does God do? When God created the world, what did he do? He came down and he got in the dirt. And what did he do? He made man and woman, right? And he breathed into them the breath of life. And what does God do? God comes down, Christ comes down from his throne, lays aside his glory in order to do what? In order to enter my misery and my sin. And to do what? To lift me up. To lift us up. What, what, what's the lifting up? Is, is that because he wants us to enjoy what it means to truly be human. Is to have a relationship with God. Despite my circumstances. Now that's, now that, that's literally what Paul is, is trying to. Uh, is sharing with the Philippians. Because they understand that. And so uh, as we go through this, uh, as we go through this study in Philippians, it's going to be kind of maybe more evident as we, we think about Paul's joy. And so I want to look at Paul's joy in three ways. First of all, the joy that Paul expresses in this greeting in verses 1 and 2. In other words, he's going to do something in, the, in this address to the people. He's, he comes to them and he's saying, this is how I'm going to approach this su- subject. And he, and he, and he addresses the people that are going to hear them in a certain way. And then he's going to acknowledge, uh, the second thing he's going to do is he's going to express his acknowledgement of their participation in what God is doing in his ministry. And that's in verses uh, 3 and 5. And then finally he's going to express this joy that he has in them and God's work and he's going to acknowledge that uh, through, uh, as, as his third point. And, and basically the whole thing about Paul as he approaches the, the, the church. Think about this is an apostle who God used to establish the church. He's in prison. Now he's writing back to them and he's saying, I, I want to share some things. And the way a person shares something will be a lot of how people receive it is going to be dependent on how he approaches it, Right? So how does Paul approach the Philippian church? You notice he calls himself and Timothy servants of Christ. Now in Philippians, uh, in First and Second Thessalonians and Philemon are the only four books that Paul speaks of himself as a servant of the Lord. Now it doesn't mean he's not, he's not in those other epistles, but Paul comes to them as a servant of Christ. He doesn't come to them as the apostle saying, you know, you need to get this right. <laughs> He's not coming heavy-handed. He's coming at, he's basically saying, we're servants of Christ Jesus. And as he approaches them, he doesn't say, now I just want to talk to the elders or the overseers. Overseers are, are elders. It's just another word for elders, but it's overseers and deacons. But notice who he addresses first. To all the saints. Now, you think, well, what's Paul doing here as he expresses something about his greeting? The way he greets people really will impact whether they really want to listen to what Paul has to say. But he's approaching them. Not, he's not trying to, he's not trying to uh, butter them up. 
But what Paul understands is that these, are peop- these people that he's writing to in Philippi are people who are saints. Think about the Philippian jailer, the demon-possessed girl, and what else? Remember Lydia, the businesswoman. Now, those were just three people selected out. And many, probably many people in the prison said they, they heard Paul and Silas gladly. So many of those people in prison probably got saved, a part of this church. And you're thinking, oh boy, you know, this is really some church that Paul's got going here. But notice how he identifies them. He identifies them as saints, people that have been set apart by God. He looks at them and he doesn't see their gender. He's not looking at what? He's not looking at their color or their race. He's not looking even at their politics. Are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? What's he looking at? He's looking at their relationship to Jesus Christ, right? Who they are in Christ. Paul uses that, whole, that, that expression, in Christ, in Jesus, to speak of our union together with God through Christ and that we're united to Christ through faith in Jesus, through his death and resurrection. We're united to him. He's basically saying, look, we're one with Christ. You're one with Christ. You are saints. You've been set apart by God. And he says, as I come to you, I don't just come to some of the saints in Christ Jesus. I'm in Philippi. I come to all the saints. Paul's addressing all of God's people. And he's basically saying, you know, you are, you, your identity, the way that you should look at yourself as Christians is you are in Christ. You know, people are, are having a hard time understanding who they are, aren't they? We got a society that's, what? They're confused. They're confused as to who they are. Why, why is it they're confused about their identity? Because God is the one that gives us our identity, right? When God created man and woman, he created them male and female, right? That's identity. And then what did God do? He named them. That's identity. And then what did God do? He gave them a purpose, right? So what happens when Christ comes down from heaven to earth to show us the way? He does what? He gives us an identity. What's that identity? Being in Christ, being saints. And then he gives us something to do. What's that? To go into all the world and disciple the nations. So he's given us our identity. He's given us a purpose for which we exist. And if you lose those two things, you lose, you lose what, what the world is losing right now. It's called humanity. <laughs> you notice how the world is just getting more divided? Because we're trying to define ourselves apart from our relationship with God. And so Paul is saying, look, I'm coming to you as as one who understands that you are saints because of what God has done in your life. And they are going to be receptive to that message because they understand what Paul's saying. That Paul's saying, look, I I get my value in this life not from what people tell me I need to have to be happy. I get my value from God. And so, so, he, so, so that's the first part here. But notice the joy he has. He does something else in this statement here in verses 3 and 4 is that he expresses that joy in prayer. Now notice verse 3 and 4. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership 
in the gospel from the first day until now. So, so Paul, not only does Paul pray for them, his whole point about his prayer is that he's giving thanks for them. One of the, one of the, the, the unique things about Scripture is that um, God knows that sometimes, you know, some, I'll say some people are more pessimistic than others, right? You know, and they always see the glass half empty, you know, no matter what happens, you know. And Paul chooses, as he thinks about the Philippians, he thinks about all the positive things that God was doing in their lives. Now, did they have problems? Yeah, they had problems. Like Yodi and Syntyche were fighting about something. Uh, they weren't always united in some areas of their life. But what Paul does here is he's saying, look, I thank God as I remember you. In other words, in all my remembrance, he's thinking about the church and what God is doing in their lives. Think about what Paul, as Paul's saying that, he's thinking about, look what God's done in this church. God closed the doors to Asia, Asia Minor. And what's he do? He opens the door to Philippi. That was God that did that. Then when Paul goes to preach, God, Paul opens the word. And what does God do? God opens Lydia's heart. And then what does, what does Lydia do as a response to God opening her heart? She opens her home and she has a church. <laughs> and what does God do? What does the Philippian jailer do? God opens the Philippian jailer's heart. God opens the prison doors. And then what does the Philippian jailer do? He opens his home and he washes Paul's wounds and has dinner with him. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful picture? In other words, Paul recognizes that what's going on here, and so he uses that opportunity to think about some of the things that God was to be thankful for. And as Christians, I, I know that in my prayer life, the, this is where I've struggled the most, is like if, I, if I'm really, really struggling as a Christian and, I, and things are getting dark and discouraging, is I, I start begin, begin thinking about all the things I have to be thankful for. And if you start giving thanks, and, and you know, it, sometimes it's just things like this. Uh, you know, uh, Lord, I know my water pipes broke today or whatever. Uh, actually, they did break. I had a, <laughs> and the guy fixed it, but then there was another leak somewhere else after he left. So anyway, this is, okay, okay. So, so my circumstances, if I allow that, my, in other words, my circumstances aren't ultimate in my life. But I can give thanks for well, I'm glad that he fixed the valve that, need, that was leaking the most. And I've got another leak, but it's okay. That can be fixed too. But, but the point is, is that so, so you, you focus on what can I give thanks for in my Christian life? And if you stop to think about it, when Jesus tells us in First Thessalonians, he says, in everything, give thanks. You go like, wow, you mean I'm supposed to count my blessings, name them one by one? And it will surprise you what? The Lord has done. Think about it. I'm alive. <laughs> to, to a certain degree, I have a good health. Uh, I'm married to the most beautiful woman in my life, 42 years uh, this year. Um, I mean, there's a lot to be thankful for as a Christian. And he's just saying, you know, if we, as, we, as Paul began thinking of the Philippians, he says, there's a lot for me to give thanks for. And he says, and to give thanks not only in my prayer, with joy. He wants to reemphasize that. The word thanksgiving is the word Eucharist, Eucharisto. The word joy is kara. And he's saying, I'm giving thanks with great joy. <laughs> 
He says, I just want you to know that there's a lot, a lot of things that I'm thanking God for, but he's thanking God for the work. And not only that, but see, they followed Paul from Philippi. When Paul went to Thessalonica, you know where Paul, uh, where Paul got his support from? He says, you sent me a gift. Philippians chapter 4, verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. And then when he went to Corinth, guess who sent him a gift? One cor- in 2 Corinthians 11, 9, the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. And then again, when he's in Jerusalem, guess what? He's taking a gift there. Guess who gave, who gave him a gift to take to, to the saints in Jerusalem? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it was the Philippian church. I mean, Paul's got a lot to be thankful for. You know, man, I'm sitting in prison, and guess what? You send me not only a gift, you sent me even your pastor. In chapter 2, he says, you even sent Epaphroditus, and he almost died taking care of me. So, so Paul is really thinking about all the things that God was doing through other people. See, God's not, the church isn't a long ranger church where, you know, one person is the one that's doing the work. Now, some people have gifted, you know, to speak or to talk or to preach God's word. But then, really, the saints are the people that God uses to bless other people as well. And Paul wanted to acknowledge their gifts, to acknowledge how much he appreciated what they were doing. You know, people in church, by the way, people need to be encouraged. The church, church people need to be encouraged in their generosity. This was a generous church. Church people need to hear, you know, I'm really thankful, you know, for that card you sent me last week. Thank you for that phone call that, you know, I, I, was, I was wondering whether anybody cared. And all of a sudden I got a phone call and boy, did that lift my spirit. And you say, well, that's just a little thing. Well, it may be to you, but for the person that got it, that's everything. Uh, and, and so Paul, Paul isn't, he's not saying, he's not pooping, oh, yeah, well, okay, I got a card. Yeah, it was, it was funny. No, he's, he's really thankful to God that these people, not only, he says, from the beginning up to now, you've been, you've been there for me. Now, that says a lot about how Paul viewed the ministry. Now, think about what he could negatively. He could be doing this. He yeah, has Philippians. Man, I went there. Preached the gospel, they threw me in prison. I got beat. I'm sitting there bleeding, me and Silas. And that no good jailer, yeah, he's a Christian now, but man, he was awfully mean. I mean, Paul could have focused on the negative, right? But what did he see? God gave them a new, a new heart. Changed them. And he's using, now he's using the gospel to transform them into the image of Christ. See, joy is the second fruit of the Spirit, right? Be ye filled with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, (laughs) and peace. And that joy is God's joy. It's the Spirit of God's joy in us in knowing that we have an identity that can't be changed, I don't care what anybody else says. My identity comes from heaven. Now, I may, I'm going to look a lot different in heaven than I do now, but the point is, is I'm a saint now. I don't have anybody. That's from heaven. That's from my identity with Christ. And then I have a purpose. I don't, I don't need somebody to tell me why I exist. I exist in order to glorify God. 
and to enjoy Him forever. Yeah, and, and, my, and life's going to be like this at times, seesaws. I'm going I'm to go through sorrows and sadness, and I'm going to be crying out to God in so many different ways. But guess what? I'm crying out to God. I'm not crying out to, oh, you know, I mean, if, I, mean I could spend a lot of time saying, you know, well, you know, this should be right and that should be right, but guess what? God's going to make it all right. Right? God's not absent from us in what's going on right now. And, you know, we, I mean, pandemic, I hate it. I hate the, the fact that people are isolated. But guess what? God's in control of that, too. As much as I, you know, I would like to be able to change it and say, you know, th- this just doesn't make sense. And, you know, and, and, and things that, uh, you know, you see people saying and doing things. I mean, you don't want to follow social media. I mean, think about some of the stuff you see on social media. This is just a few things. Uh, at least all COVID deniers will eventually end up dead. That shouldn't be a Christian, right? Well, Democrats are pure evil, and we need to exterminate them before they eliminate us. And you can go, you know, what about Republicans? They'd say, well, you know, we're going to have uh, natural disasters, and things are going to fall apart, right? Uh, or all such people, such whatever they are, are leeches on society and should be eliminated. In other words, our focus can be on those, what, secondary issues that are not unimportant. But what's the primary issue? The ultimate issue is who are you in Christ and what is Christ doing in the world that he owns so, so for us as Christians even, because we get sucked into that. I'll have to admit, <laughs> I get sucked into it too. But, but the point is, is this, is that my purpose for existence is what? Not only to know Christ better, but to make Christ known to the people that are struggling with the very same things that I struggle with. And, and that's not, not, not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to minimize sin, in, that, in those respects. But when Jesus came down to, to, to uh, be a Jew, born in the manger, he became a Jew, and what was he doing? Jesus goes into the trenches with people. Think about it. The sinful woman in, in Luke chapter 7. You, you touched, if, if he was a righteous man, uh, if he was a righteous uh, uh, man, he wouldn't allow this woman to touch him. Or think about the disciples when Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem. Guess what? The Samaritans said, no way are you coming into our city. No way. The disciples said, shall we call fire down from heaven and destroy them? (laughs) What was Jesus' response there in Luke 9? He says, you don't know what kind of spirit you're of. That's not why I came. I came to save, to lift people up. And then he gives us the Good Samaritan in chapter 10. Kind of ironic, isn't it? (laughs) He rebukes them. Why? Because we can judge people based on something other than what God judges on. You know, the only two types of people in the world, lost and saved, right? And I know a lot of saved people are Republicans and Democrats. I know a lot of people who, you know, and, you know, some people that wear masks and some people that don't. Some people that have shots and some people that don't. All those things are things that are secondary, but the primary thing is, do they know Jesus Christ? 
Do they name the Lord? And so Paul's not appealing to, I mean, he could say, I mean, think about it. Some of the people in Caesar's household are going to get saved in Philippians because Paul's in a Roman prison. Now, why do you think their politics are? <laughs> I mean, just think about it. I mean, who wants to be serving in Nero's, in Nero's uh, house? I mean, you don't know if you're going to live today or be killed tomorrow. And yet, at the same time, Paul is basically, he's, he's recognizing the fact that these people, God has done a deep work in them, and he is not going to, fin- he's not finished with them yet. And so, like in chapter 6, verse 6 there, notice what Paul does. He, he moves from acknowledging what they've done and how they supported his ministry. But then in verse 6, notice what, who, who he really gives praise to. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, what Paul's doing now is that he's basically saying, yeah, I know what God's, I'm so thankful for what God's doing in the church. But you know, that's because when God does something, he always completes it. Isn't that encouraging for us as Christians? Because sometimes we get weary and we think, Lord, you know, I've been, I've been a Christian for so long. But one thing is for certain is that God began a good work in me. I mean, the fact that you want to open the scriptures and read them, did you know that that's because of what God did? God opened Lydia's heart. God opened your heart. If you're a Christian... That's basically, it's not because I made it, yes, I made a decision. I was 10 years old. I remember dad preaching at a Baptist church in Clear Fork. Clear Fork. And uh, I, I, had, uh, I was under conviction. And he gave an invitation and I was up at the front. But you know, it's God's work in me. That's what we have to always, we have to remember. Lord, continue, deepen that work in me. Because the work you've begun you will continue. And what's God's work in us? It's to make us like Jesus. You realize the fruit of the Spirit is, that is Jesus. That's what real humanity looks like when there's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Though That is a picture of true humanity. That's what God intended for Adam and Eve when he, when he, when he created them. Sin has really just smashed all that. The cross is God going, jumping down in the pit. You know, in uh, Uganda, I, I heard the story. It stuck with me. I think it was a, a, a Pastor Sam from Uganda that, that shared this. But uh, he, he, uh, he says, you know, a lot of these villages you go into, they don't just have a, a bathroom. It's just a hole on the floor. And uh, that's where you go for uh, taking care of things. And he says, uh, and he was sharing this about uh, one, one child fell down into all that. And so one of the, I don't know if it was a parent or I forget, it was an adult, jumped down into all that and rescued that child. That's what God did. You're saved, God jumped down in the poop. He jumped down into the, the depths of our sinfulness. Why? To lift us up. To bring us out of our self-righteousness. To bring us out of our self-pity. To bring us out of our, our, our rebellion against him. And to give us a new heart. That, brothers and sisters, that's a miracle. 
If you're a believer, you have experienced the miracle of salvation. It's the miracle of grace. And, and that work that God's begun, he's not going to give up. You know, I'm just so thankful. You know, like, you know, you ever, you know, the Holy Spirit starts convicting you of stuff and you go, man, Lord, he just won't give up, will he? Why doesn't the Holy Spirit give up on us? Because he loves us too much to let us go and do it our way. And I, you know, I am stubborn. Well, don't ask my wife, but I am. There's, there's, <laughs> there's things where, you know, I'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll get it right this time. And I'm glad that, you know, that, that, but, but what, so God continues to work in our lives for a reason, because there are people that need to know two things about, like, for example, there's a children, a lot of children out there that abuse children. They might have behavior problems and all kinds of other issues. You know what really they need to know? Number one, they need to know they're loved, right? They, know, they, they need to, they need, because why? Their self-image has been distorted by the sinfulness of others. So they need that. And where do they get that from? Where are the hands of Jesus to minister to that person? It's a teacher who loves Jesus. It might be a a family that adopts a child and brings that child in because that child's been abused. You know, in Rome, what would happen is that people, if they had a, a, a child that was a daughter, oftentimes they would take that daughter out and put that daughter on the, on the trash dump and let that daughter die. Why? Because they wanted the son. What did the Christians do? They rescued those little kids and raised them as their own. That's Jesus working through what? His body. And what happens as a result of that is that the fruit of that kind of life, there's a deep joy. It's not a, it's not a superficial joy. It's not, a, it's not this, I've arrived joy, you know. It's a real joy. It's a, it's a deep joy of God knowing that, th- that God is glorified and that God is pleased. You know, it's, and it's not about what I did. It's really about what God's, God, God, God caused you to have that kind of compassion. In fact, Paul in verse 8, notice, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. He's basically saying, I yearn for you with the bowels of Jesus. The word bowels there is the, I yearn for you with the compassion of Christ. It's, so when Christ would look at people and it says he was moved with Splotne, or compassion, it basically says, and he healed the people. He was moved with compassion, and he fed the 5,000. He was moved with compassion, and he reached out and touched the leper. So what moves Christians to move out of our comfort zone to, take, to, to go into the pit with people and to lift them up? That's scary, isn't it? I mean... It's scary to go into situations where sometimes we don't, I mean, you know, and and I'm just saying that some circumstances are just, you're going like, Lord, no wonder I need a helper. (laughs) You know, foxhole prayers are prayers. And God hears foxhole prayers. And that's, I mean, I, I do a lot of foxhole praying a lot of times. Lord, help. I have no idea what I'm walking into here. And so you see Paul's attitude 
towards the church, do you think that they might be real receptive to his message? (laughs) He loves them. He has compassion. And they they can't question his compassion, right? I mean, he preached the gospel and got thrown in prison. They're not questioning that about Paul. They're not going to question his love. They're not going to question the fact, does he really care? And so I I just leave with these these few thoughts about... uh, Things that we need to remember. One is, is, is always remember the good things that God has done in your life. God is good and he does good. And, you know, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. Guess what? You know, more than 50% of those people that observed Thanksgiving died that first year. More than half of them. But they wanted to have a season of thanks. You're going like, wow, man. I mean, think of the pain of coming all the way to America in a little tiny dinky boat and then half of them die. Um, And work at Christian friendship. You know, one of the great ways that the church has a witness today is people are lonely. They need friends. And, uh, And Paul worked at friendship, don't you think? It's more blessed to give than to receive. I used to think as a pastor, I said, well, how come nobody ever calls me? <laughs> and uh, some pastor actually asked me this. And he says, you know, I'm always doing this and doing that. And I said, well, you know, it's almost more blessed to give than to receive. You know, it's hard to, actually, sometimes it's hard to be on the receiving end. But some of the joy that we have is in giving, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Uh, they did it, uh, you know, uh, in Philippi and Paul. Uh, and meditate on the goodness of God. Uh, you know, our... Our joy is not going to be dried up by our circumstances. No matter what our circumstances are, Paul says rejoice in the Lord always because no one can change your identity and the purpose for which God saved you. Nobody can change any of that. And so that causes us to have deep joy um, in Christ. And that kind of witness is what the world needs to know. That's exactly, it's not about, okay, Uh, making a big impact. No, it's about seeing Christianity lived out in a fallen world where people are hurting, where people are struggling. Um, And and Christians come with a message not of condemnation, but of what? Salvation, forgiveness, cleansing through the blood of Jesus. See, people need loved and accepted. And that's, that's the message of Christianity. You say, yeah, the condemnation, yes, Christ took my condemnation so that I have a message that's positive, right? I have a message, yes, we're sinners and we're in rebellion against God, but God has something much better, a better plan for people, and that's to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul, Paul focused on that so much, and uh, rather than focusing on the negative things that were happening in his life right now, I mean, think about it. How would you like to spend... Every missionary trip that you went to, you knew that you're going to be in prison. <laughs> a little discouraging. You think you don't write home, you don't say, you know, to the churches, well, I've really been successful in my missionary journeys. Uh, I got thrown in prison at uh, such and such a city, and I got thrown in. And you're going like, Paul, you know, you know we need to talk to you. Uh, you're, you know, you really don't know what it means to be a missionary. And Paul says, no, you don't understand the joy I have in, in, in doing God's will. And it meant suffering. But what did it mean for Jesus? Who for the joy set before him did what? Endured the cross. 
despising the shame that that cross, in other words, despising the shame of the prison, despising the shame of my circumstances, despising the shame that people want to throw at me, guess what? It doesn't stick. It's Teflon. Because why? My identity's in Jesus, and my purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray that we would have a deeper and a deeper sense of uh, what it means to rejoice in the Lord always and again to rejoice. Lord, thank you for this passage of Scripture and thank you for what you did and are doing uh, in the lives of your people. And Lord, we may not see it, but uh, Lord, your work uh, that you begin, you will finish because you are the Lord and you don't change. And so give us that, uh, Father, that attitude as we come to worship, as we come to uh, this coming week, Father, even those circumstances that are going to be difficult, help us to see in those moments, Lord, that you walk with us and that you never leave us nor forsake us, even in the midst of our deepest trials, our deepest sadness, our deepest problems, that the Lord will never forsake us and that we are yours forever. And we pray that.